Presenting a bold new adventure into Lovecraftian horror and black comedy, The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program's acclaimed second series, The Terrible Secret of Lot X. This is startling and strange, but darling, we might be onto something here. This is why we came to Arkham after all. The Necronomicon. Whatever your intent with this book, you will find more danger than answers. In this program, our cast actually lives the terror. I... The air gives way to the crushing depths. You're drowning. You're drowning in a sea of yellow. <laughs> it's an improvised audio drama that uses Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu role-playing game and the wits of our players. These poor souls never know what's going to crawl out of the darkness. Just search for The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program or unlock all our secrets at CthulhuMystery.com. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from the Consequence Podcast Network. This is a host. Uh, my name is Rockin' Randall Colburn. You may also call me Ma, because uh, uh, we are sponsored by the movie that is coming out this weekend, Ma, starring Octavia Spencer. Um, Oscar winner. Oscar winner, Octavia Spencer. We're actually not sponsored by that movie, but I mentioned before the podcast that I kind of wanted to see it. So I wish we were sponsored by Blumhouse. It would be nice. Is it a Blumhouse movie? It is a Blumhouse movie. What can I say? I'm just intrigued by the premise. I'm a huge Blumhouse fan. They got some great horror talent. Love great horror talent. Love Octavia Spencer. Love Ma. I I love my Ma. So I want to see this movie, Ma. Who do you uh, think who, who, they could have a crossover with Ma and Mo from uh, Three Stooges? <laughs> you threw me for a loop there. I didn't know where you were going when you said Mo, and then you said that, and it was the most obvious yet also the most surprising direction. Yeah. And I like that bit. Uh, today's a Needful Tweets episode. We're here to talk about tweets. We're here to talk about Hollywood King, the latest in Hollywood King news. We have a little review of AMC's Nosferatu, which is premiering very soon. Uh, just a very brief review of that based on some uh, episodes that we watched. And then we're going to crack open that bag of bones. So we got plenty of questions in there. Lots of fun stuff. I think Big old bag of bones. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of good good stuff going on. Uh, so yeah, I'm rocking Randall Colburn, and who is to my right? This is Mackenzie Mothra Gerber. Yeah, Mothra. Right. Also, another movie coming. We're also week. sponsored by uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I'm a big <laughs> oh moth head and uh, a big kaiju head. Uh, so I'm really excited to uh, see that film as well as uh, continue this episode of Needful Tweets and all the other goodies. But that do we you want to see Ma? Uh, I do want to. See Ma. I we're think, also sponsored I think that's going to be. I think I, the trailer looks kind of silly, but it's getting pretty decent reviews, and I think that it's going to be very surprisingly unnerving. It's getting better reviews than Mothra. That's true, but yeah, as I said before, I'm a big Mothra head, and uh, can't wait to see <laughs> big that. Mothra head. Can't wait to see Mothra in action and uh, <laughs> all the and, uh, Rodan, all the all the kaiju that I've uh, been longing for on the big screen once again. 
Uh, it's going to be great. Sounds good. Who's sitting across from me? Uh, this is Michael Millie Bobby Brown. Ah, um, crossover. And not oh. only just for uh, Godzilla King, King of Monsters, but also from Stranger Things 3. Netflix's uh, Stranger Things we're 3. We're also sponsored by them. We all are. So this is a huge episode. We're sponsored by Blumhouse, Legendary, Slash, Warner Brothers, and uh, Netflix. Yeah. So Stranger Things 3 coming out July 4th. We're just raining in that cash right now. It's we're really nice. swimming in that cash. Um, but, but, you know, before we can talk about the cash that accompanies being in Hollywood, which is where we're relocating because we've gotten all these sponsorships. Tons. We're, we're going to be California guys now. Uh, we are going to talk about needful tweets. Uh, that's sort of, uh, you know, what's King been up to on Twitter lately? It's been a bit since we've talked about it. And let's just say there's a lot of tweets. Uh, there's a lot of tweets. Uh, there's a lot of tweets. Let's just say... We've been missing some tweets. <laughs> a lot of tweets. I think there's probably a lot because we haven't done this for a while. <laughs> he's not a human being. No! Don't you see what he's done? Let's kill them all. Let's God sort them out. All right, as we always do now, we don't read every King tweet, but we do break down the most notable ones into certain categories. And we're going to start with, it's the show that's on everybody's lips, ladies and gentlemen, Game of Thrones. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, I have heard of it, Randall. I have too. You know who else has? Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And he tweeted a lot about it. He did tweet a shitload about Game of Thrones. Max, is something funny? (laughs) I just saw King of Thrones at the top. (laughs) (laughs) I had the last section. Max, because you think this is so fucking funny <laughs> why don't you start with the first tweet from april 22nd april 22nd got as a longtime storyteller i'm in awe of how perfectly the minds behind this show brought all the major characters together at winterfell they made it look easy constant readers it is not boom well and so, he followed that up uh, six days later uh, by retweeting linwood barclay on April 28th, he wrote, GOT, World War Z meets Saving Private Ryan, the most ambitious episode of TV ever. Some are already complaining it was hard to see. Shut up. Shut up. Ooh. Shut up. Linwood Barclay. Shut up. That's, shut up. That's pretty, uh, that's and that was probably the, was that the episode where, uh, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones people, although I think at this point, yeah, it's kind of, you know, yeah. you, you've, if you haven't watched it yet, you're wading into dark territory no matter where you go. That was probably when, Ka- when Danny destroyed King's Landing. Yeah? No, that, no, that's, no, no, this was, this early? is the Night King. Episode oh, that was the that, Night King it's episode. It's the, the episode that takes place in pretty much pitch, pitch blackness. I, I had, you know, at one point I was, I thought maybe I need to change something on my TV just, just to make sure I'm seeing everything because I didn't want to miss something. But it wasn't because I felt like I, it was too dark. I just felt like I, I personally didn't want to miss anything. Um, you sound like Steven Tyler over there. <laughs> I don't want to miss a thing. Uh, yeah. So I, ultimately I think that Stephen King is half right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can talk more about our opinions yeah, after, after we get through these. these game. Are, yeah. th- th- by the way, this covers the entire last season. He was very invested. Oh, wow. So on May 6th, he said, suppose just suppose now. That John and Danny both died, along with Cersei, of course. Suppose, just suppose, that a certain little man with a big heart ended up sitting on the Iron Throne. I mean, I love Stephen King, but come on, dude, he's writing like this is Us Weekly or something. (laughs) Maybe he writes for Us Weekly now. He used to write for Entertainment (laughs) Weekly. It's true. Maybe he just likes those weeklies. (laughs) 
What else did uh, he say on May 6th, man? Uh, he uh, replying to Stephen King, uh, Jazzy Jules 69 wrote, I'm thinking just maybe Sansa Stark might show up and kill Cersei as she, I feel, has the most history and hate for this woman. And King responded, That would be good, but man, Sansa is cold. Um... Man, it's just like as somebody and Mike, I'm sure you agree with me on this as somebody who has to write about for our job Game of Thrones constantly. Aren't these conversations just the most annoying fucking things you've ever heard? They're very dull. It's awful. So (laughs) and these uh, aren't even like hot takes or anything. No, they're not. These are the most basic takes. (laughs) A little man with a big heart. (laughs) All right. May 16th. (laughs) (laughs) We love this author, by the way. I love this last season of GOT. Including Danny going bug shit all over King's Landing. There's been a lot of negativity about the windup, but I think it's just because people don't want any ending. But you know what they say: all good things. Dot dot dot. All good things. That's that uh, movie starring uh, Ryan Gosling and Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, and uh, very bad things starring Daniel Stern. And also Christian Slater. Good oh, cast, and, Mr. And, Mr. Robot, and, and The Thing starring <laughs> Kurt Russell. <laughs> Okay, well, May 19th, <laughs> before tonight's episode of GOT, I like how he just keeps using GOT also. It's hashtag Game of Thrones. Yeah, but he's you're saving characters in long tweets. He doesn't, really he doesn't want to start s- calling it got. 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 Big thanks to George R. Martin, David Benioff, and Dan Weiss for creating eight seasons of enthralling fantasy and human drama. Few shows can truly be called groundbreaking. This is one of them. You guys rock. It's really hard to read these knowing knowing that backlash yeah. <laughs> that, got, that those writers have gotten. But uh, let's continue. Yeah, let's. I actually, this is actually super funny. So why don't you yeah. do this next one? Uh, May nineteenth, Scott Van Doviak. Anyway, no interest in the prequels, but I would probably watch Arya West of Westeros. So did King retweet that? He retweeted that. Yeah. Man, how did Scott get all those hot retweets? He gets them all the time. Isn't he? He's an AV Club guy, right? He used, well, he, I think he still occasionally writes for okay. us. But uh, retweeted uh, I at I Jason Alexander, which I want to believe is, is, George, Costanza. is George Costanza, but I don't think it is. <laughs> uh, dear GOT Company, I know a little something about finales and disappointed fans. Oh wait, it is Jason it is. Alexander. It is Holy shit! Oh, wow. My advice live in joy that you are part of something that moves people so you are all magnificent my family and i loved it all thanks i think that's a good note to go out on uh the king of thrones section yeah because and now can we talk about our thoughts about yeah, game, go game for of thrones it. Go for a second yeah. um i think the last two seasons were not half as um good as the first you know the first <laughs> bunch of seasons that followed the books having said that this was never going to be a satisfying ending. This is a show that is is only good, not only good, but when it subverts what you think is going to happen, you ne- it's, it's never what you want to happen. So everything mm-hmm. that people wanted to happen didn't happen. So in, in fact, it kind of was true to the way that every season yeah. has ended. Um, it, but it was never going to be, it was never going to be a button and kind of show, you know what I mean? Like I would, it would have been more satisfying to me had everyone just had it just been really open-ended or my thing was like, where's that, uh, that new Prince of Dorne just come in and just kill everybody that we like love mm-hmm. and just, you know, just have them totally taken by surprise because they're so wrapped up in themselves. 
I, I wanted there to be some kind of something more like that. However, the way that it ended, I was like, okay, like I believed everything that was happening. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, right, I agree. I'll go with I that. Yeah, that I mean, I get that. Okay, sure, yeah. But again, this has never been a button ending show. So no. to to like wrap up certain characters' storylines in any way that was like satisfying, it felt I felt kind of like no, that's not right. There was like still I wanted d- more people to be like left unanswered left still trying to figure out their shit and it felt like they button ended too much of it there the thing i did like about this ending was that it felt very of cut from the same cloth of michael mann in that no one's really happy it just all kind of ends in this way that everyone's stuck doing the service that they have to do and yeah, there's true. some sort of finality to that but there's also an ambiguity to it too also like i mean like with john snow going off into like this fucking random wilderness, Arya going off into some place that she doesn't really know. By the way, spoiler alert for every, I just assume we everyone has already got yeah. ever. But for me, yeah, I thought it like logically it tied up a lot of the narrative, you know, and loose ends, but also, yeah, to your point, like that's not really game of Thrones also at the same time. My thing, my issue isn't with this episode. It's just as a whole, like this is unprecedented in the sense that it's going past the source material. And so the source material just wasn't even written yet. And I think that's always going to be a disservice to this series. And it was always going to be a disservice because of that. So for me, it's there was it was always working up against you know these great odds. I don't think it helped that you can clearly tell that Benioff and Weiss like just ejected like two or three seasons ago because they were you know working hard at uh, this next Star Wars movie. Star which Wars already baby. is going to be out in theaters three years from now, so clearly they have some sort of development that's going on because they're not going to just immediately you know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I mean maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I guess to wrap up my thoughts on it, I, I, what Stephen King was kind of saying here, or no, I'm sorry, Jason Alexander, <laughs> what Jason Alexander was saying, <laughs> I get them confused so much, What Jason Alexander was saying is that I look back on Game of Thrones and, and it's not the, it's not the particular, it's not the episode necessarily or this or that, that I loved about the show. It was event television. I loved the idea of going and sitting down. I liken it to Twin Peaks, the return. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, I was, I looked so forward to watching the next episode, even these last, you know, six episodes, every episode I was still like, Oh God, I got to sit down and watch this. Everybody, it was like silent on Sundays. Everybody was inside watching this. Yeah. And I, re- I appreciate there's not going to be another show like that for a while. And, and I really love that about it. And I feel like there's, there's the same way with lost when lost was on, you know, like no one was happy with that ending and I didn't like that entire last season, but I, I look back on that and I was just like, wow, that was so thrilling to be a part of that. Like every, every week to look forward to something. So that's an achievement in itself. I'm not giving them a pass, but at the same time I, I was fine and it, it could have ended a lot worse mm-hmm. in my opinion. So, you know, uh, I agree with you in a lot of ways about um, event television. It was exciting. I was having gatherings to watch these, you know. Uh, we were cooking dinner. We were doing fun stuff. Um, and uh, as somebody who defended the Lost ending um, at the time I saw it, uh, holy shit, I fucking hated this ending. Uh, and oh, I wow. disagree with you guys on so many topics wow. on this. It was well, should, th- should that be a whole other podcast? <laughs> well, I'll just keep it simple. I'll just yeah. say this. It was so completely tonally and atmospherically different from the rest of the show. It ended like a goddamn sitcom, this show did. But here's the thing. 
when it, like you were talking earlier about like, oh, it didn't end the way I wanted it to in a weird way. It kind of did in the sense that, uh, like, I think it's great that Danny turns and becomes, you know, like torches King's landing. Uh-huh. I'm all on board with that. John killing her in the way that he did. I'm on board with that. Yeah. I'm on board with pretty much everything that happened except for, uh, the very ending, which I'll talk about, but they just didn't earn any of it. And I well, realized yeah, yeah, they rush everything. In yeah. Series. And I mean, like, you know. here's the thing was I was really invested. I love the books, you know, and I, I was really invested in the show and I had made a market decision to separate. I was going to be the kind of person who was bitching. I actually liked the seventh season in a weird way. Like I, I was on board for it all because I felt like it was all building towards something. But then I just watched them sort of abandon plot line after plot line after plot line. And, uh, and, and then I, and I guess the big thing I realized was that I was really invested in all these characters in the yeah. early seasons and even season seven. Like, uh, like I remember I was sad when fucking, um, Thorin, wait, is it Thorin? The guy who's the, the priest or I'm thinking the Hobbit, the guy who put Thoros, who was the, re- the Lord of light priest who died in, uh, the, okay. in season seven. I was like sad <clears throat> about that. I didn't give a shit about anybody dying this season. Like when Jorah died, I love Jorah, but he should yeah. have died three seasons ago. No, I you know agree. what I mean? Yeah. It's like, like the whole grayscale thing, you know, it's like, that should have been something. So for me, I guess like my whole thing is, um, it all felt so expediated, so rushed. Uh, I didn't, I like, I, I just found my, like when I, I, I still remember, like, I don't think the breaking bad finale is like perfect, but man, was I feeling feelings during that? Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I am so on board with this. And oh, even I didn't, though, I didn't feel anything at the end of this episode, this season at all. Yeah. But that's know? part of like my complaint. Whereas like I, lost too, like lost. I, here's the thing in retrospect, well, lost is a little different. I, I defended the lost finale at the time in retrospect. I think I was being really kind to it yeah which is uh like but the thing was i did feel like i remember that final conversation with like jack and his dad i was like really moved by that when i watched it well and here in this episode i didn't care about anything and then once Tyrion's in handcuffs and he's just like lecturing to these people about why bran should be king and his whole reasoning is bran has a story it just it felt very silly like i kept yeah. i and my whole i just kept laughing through it all like it all felt and then at the end you've got like 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 nobody addresses Sam stealing these sacred books from the Citadel. Uh, you know, Braun is the master of coin for some reason. Like uh, nobody's talking about Davos's wife, who he's been talking about this whole time. Uh, Sam, I don't know. Just like so many different storylines were completely like lopped off. I actually liked John going into the wilderness at mm-hmm. the end. I thought yeah. that was one of the yeah. more poetic yeah. parts of it. And I enjoyed that, but it's like, it all felt so silly and um, goofy to me. Like I was like, this was literally feels like saved by the bell where it's like the only characters that matter are the main ones that we, cause I remember I always, this is a small little aside, but just like, I always remember when I was young, my, my friends and I would always joke about like, why are Zach Kelly, uh, Slater, Lisa, Screech, and Jesse, the only ones who ever do anything in Saved by the Bell. Like, they're always in every club. They lead everything. They do everything. And uh, and this almost felt like that. It's like all those same people were, like, the heads of King's Landing at the end. And that just felt so sitcom and silly. I, I mean, and that's I think, not the show. But I just think, ultimately, it comes down to the fact that you have two showrunners who just vanished. Yeah, but that's I mean, that's I mean look at all the flubs that happened in this season. No, I agree. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with yeah. you. I just think 
when you look at it from a narrative point of view, I agree that they didn't earn it. I still just don't, I don't mind where they took their, the, the narrative. That's my thing. I don't think there's anything like people are complaining. Like it doesn't make sense that you did this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I kind of disagree. Yeah, on that I don't respect. care about that. My, yeah. my, my thing is how they got there. I think is just, is it, is, you know, shenanigans, but I would have preferred that they, um, try to have emotional like conclusions, like rather than logical ones. Like as long as I cared and felt something like, I guess that was my thing. And then they, then like, and like, I mean, as somebody who has to write about this shit all the time, like I, I've been immersed in all of this. And I think that like part of it, I think it all kind of comes down to, and this, uh, this speaks to what you're saying, Mike, but like there's that inside the thrones or inside the episode Mm -hmm. bits. That's where some of the most revealing stuff is where you've got David Benioff, one of the creators going, yeah, uh, Danny kind of forgot about the iron fleet. And then like, that's how our dragon got killed. That's like like, a meme now. I know exactly. And it's like, if you think about it though, it's like you guys were not even trying. Here's a question now. And I've been thinking about this lately in light of that. Lucasfilm is notorious uh-huh. for pulling the carpet away or pulling the ro- you know the the rug away from, oh, from someone. Yeah, I would not be surprised if, given the backlash in this, they say, mm, "No, we're we're going to go with someone else for this." So, so is it, isn't Colin Trevorrow married to? Yeah. Um, she. I mean, he's he's connected. He's connected, and he still lost. And the he movie. still lost the movie. Yeah, I have no doubt, unless they just are worried about looking like complete assholes, <laughs> that they will over the next three year wait, this will be taken away from them and yeah. given to someone else that people are going to be behind. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt because they did that with Colin Trevorrow and yep. that was far, that was that just like Jurassic movie. world did really well. It yeah. just happened to be like shit dialogue and stuff. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't like that movie was, was unsuccessful. And this, it wasn't this like game was, of Thrones this, was unsuccessful. This game, game of Thrones was very successful, but I think, their merits are what the last few seasons when they don't have Martin. Yeah. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I think it'll depend like if they present a product to Disney that they're like, okay, this can like salvage you guys. But other, my opinion is like, I think they might give them one movie and then see how that fares. And if it doesn't really blow up, then they'll, they'll the rest of their trilogy, they'll put on other people. Or even if it it just continues as, as they uh, create the story, but it is directed by someone or, you know what I mean? Like, but that's their weakest part is the narration or is the narrative. Well, you get, know, just get, a, get another screenwriter. Maybe we'll have George. R, <laughs> maybe George R. Martin will, will do it. <laughs> Anyways, that was a uh, Losers Club Game yeah. of Thrones cast. Uh, time to move on. More tweets. Well, this next section is a little bit of rock and roll that uh, I, I called "Writer on the Storm." Boom. I'm gonna just handle this one because I got I got some intel. On do it. There. Do cool. it. Cool. Uh, so in this section. Um, we're going to talk about King defending the doors and then uh, going into his recent performance that he had in Minneapolis. Uh, so on April 20th, uh, David Crosby, of all people, was asked what he thought about the doors. And David Crosby, Crosby still snatched young, uh, he, he tweeted, basically sucked. Guitar and drums, pretty okay. Keyboard was awful. His bass with left hand was abysmal, horrible, square wheel bad. And Morrison was no effing good as a singer or poet, poser. Sorry. Jeet Jeet here uh, said, I have a certain teenage nostalgic affiliation for the Doors or affection for the Doors. Also, Apocalypse Now soundtrack. But this is the ring of truth, doesn't it? And King wrote, this is great. 
Man, I love the Doors. Never gave much of a shit for David Crosby, though, which is great. <laughs> but that's Thanks. mean. It's, what, it's a, the guy's not allowed to have an opinion? No, he's not allowed to have an opinion. No, I'm just joking. No, he can have an opinion. King's I just coming think he's, at him. he's making it personal. I King, think King is King has an opinion. And if at this point in David Crosby's career, he doesn't have the thick skin to, <laughs> to let this roll off his back, <laughs> the David Crosby needs to buck up. He's probably right. like, Neil, what do you think? Anyway, speaking of <laughs> rock and roll, on May 12th, King tweeted, Thanks to everyone who came out to rock with the remainders in Minneapolis on Friday night. Hope you had a good time because we sure did. Love you guys. Now, if you don't know what he's talking about, he's talking about the rock bottom remainders. We talked a lot about uh, the rock bottom remainders in uh, our past episode in March when we had an interview with Tanana Reeve Du because she jammed with them. Pretty cool. Um, so basically, the Rock Bottom Remainders, they're made up of other authors um, oh. that, that, that King's uh, pals with. Um, they're bit, uh, Dave Barry is an author. Um, they've included Amy Tan, Cynthia Heimel, Sam Barry, Ridley Pearson, Scott Turow, Jill Seven, I mean, tons of people, just tons and tons of people. Um, Scott Turow, author of Reversible Airs. Is that it? Uh, he's like a crime author. He lives in Chicago, actually. Well, all these authors love to rock and roll. So I have the Love set the list <laughs> because they played, they played a pretty legendary place, the First, First Avenue in Minneapolis. That's where the, the replacements got their name out there and also where Prince got his name out there. And uh, Sounds like the Rock Bottom Remainders are on the verge of blowing up. I think they might be. They might be opening for Vampire Weekend this summer. But <laughs> uh, they played songs like In the Midnight Hour. Stand by me. That seems a little on the nose, but I love it. Uh, paperback writer. Hey baby, you, you, I love that the fact that they they covered. You can call me Al, which I would pay oh, so much that. money to see <laughs> Stephen King jamming out to You Can Call Me Al. Uh, play other songs like Teen Angel, Leader of the Pack, Surfing Bird, uh, Bossa Nova Baby, Jailhouse Rock, Drift Away, Wild Thing, Gloria, Susie Q, Kiss. So basically, songs that you would expect, you know, like sixty something, seventy something guys and gals like rocking out to. Yeah. Um, a lot of fun. Wish I could have gone. Yeah. Love going to Minneapolis and I love Stephen King. So I should have gone on this trip. I thought it was in June. You, you're no longer a rock and roller. I'm not a rock and roller anymore. And I'm definitely not a member of, uh, the roadies for the rock bottom remainders. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm bummed out that I missed that, but it's cool that Stephen King's still rocking. It's true. And then on May, Oh, it's cause you read that one. So we're moving on. Oh, we're moving on. The Stamp of King. This is where he recommends things. Man, we got a lot he's recommending here. (laughs) A lot. On April 11th, he recommended a movie on Netflix called The Silence, or is it a series? I think it's it's a movie. If you choose to watch, no comment on that, be aware that sign language is involved. It's not on the screen, but you can get it by engaging the subtitle function from the menu. There, my good deed for the day. The Silence, I believe, is a movie with... um, uh, <laughs> well, let me look. Let me look. Let it's, me look. it's what's her name from from Mad Men, the, Mad the, Men. the young girl. Oh, uh, Karen Shipka. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sabrina and, herself. And and Alan. Uh, People compare. Oh, it's uh, Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. I, I always want to say Alan. I always want to say Alan Tudyk for some reason because acclaimed I, I, chef I, I, Stanley I, I, Tucci, I, which yeah. is not him at all. Uh, I heard this movie. People were comparing it to Bird Box and Quiet Place. Yeah, because. It's just the core idea is essentially the same in terms of like most of the movie is silent, I guess, or something. I well, don't know. Shipka plays but a late deaf and teenager who seeks shelter with her family and a cult seeks to take advantage of her deafness. Oh, maybe I'm completely wrong. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, that, that's a little bit like that's Bird what Box I, and that's a That's just what I heard. I haven't uh, seen it. 
Uh, April 14th, he praised a movie called, or a series or a movie called no, Black it's, Summer. It's a series. It's, it's a series. A series. Yeah. Black Summer. Just when you think there's no more scare left in zombies, this comes along. Existential hell in the suburbs, stripped to the bone. I thought that was the Dawn of the Dead remake. It's a little bit like the Dawn of the Dead remake because they're running zombies. I actually watched this entire series pretty oh, wow. fast, and it was based on this recommendation. So probably the night that he tweeted about this. Oh, yeah. Uh, stars Jamie King. She's great in it. Uh, it's uh, it's awesome. It's pretty actually. It, it's a pretty great zombie sort of series drama really? thing. It's just fun. I mean, it, it's it's nonstop chasing. I mean, it, there's very little drama. It's just all it trims all the fat out of the zombie movie. That I actually love the fat because I love the the Romero drama and everything that they have in between. But this is like you watch this and you're like, oh yeah, no, we would be all screwed if we had the sort of like running 28 days later is on. But who needs it when you've got Walking Dead? It's true. I love Walking Dead and I love Fear the Walking Dead starring (laughs) Jenna Elfman. Well, by the way, Jenna Elfman's on it. Are you serious? Yeah, I was looking, I was going on a downward spiral the other night, just going through names and I went through Jenna Elfman. I was like, what is she up to? And she's apparently like a lead on Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, A lot of the cast has has changed or mm -hmm. pivoted. Dharma and Greg, the zombie. (laughs) Uh, b- back on Black Summer, April 15th, uh, no long fraught discussions, no endless flashbacks because there's no backstory, no grouchy teens. Dialogue is spare. Much shot with a single-handed can- uh, handheld camera, very fluid. Showrunners could learn a lot from this if they could work, that is. What the hell does that mean? I think there's a strike. Oh. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I've had my fellow zombie forever. I'm done. Uh, April 17th, Randall. Uh, Linwood Barclay tweeted, Mazda ad shows woman floating through the air by holding onto a little balloon. Bottom of screen, dramatization, do not attempt. Read, the, read that just as I was blowing up the balloon. Woo. <laughs> and for some reason, King said, best tweet of the day, hands down. <laughs> Hey, that's a, he got the stamp of king. <laughs> oh, can I please take this next one? Oh, you got yes. it. This is your series. April 19th. You have got to get in on this. This series is so fine. What series? It's finally here. Season five of Bosch, baby. Uh, he, oh, I, I added the baby there. It said, actually he says at Bosch Amazon is available now on Prime Video. We are so proud of this season. Enjoy. Bosch Amazon. Uh, Bosch something. Amazon. So he's retweeting that because I was going to say, I was like, he was involved. He was involved. He's working on it. <laughs> now, let me just say. You love Bosch. Uh, binge Bosch. I Bosch finished, binge. I finished uh, season five of Bosch. My father, uh, my father randomly texted myself and my, bro- my brother saying, you guys should watch this show, Bosch. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a dad show? Um I would, you know, it is a bit of a, it is a little bit, uh, it's, it's, it's missing something. I can never quite put my finger on it. It is missing something. If it's shot and feels a bit like the wire, there's not really music scoring anything, um, except, well, that's not true. They've got that. That sexy sax come in every once in a while, or whatever. But what is um, this? Lead the weapon, you know, the I know, right? It takes place in LA. Uh, ultimately, uh, I thought this season was actually pretty strong, and uh, I stand by Bosch. I'm looking forward to season six. Uh, and love Ty Wolver. Stars, love him. yeah, because he's he, that was a lost star, right? Man yeah, but also Deadwood. Deadwood. 
Yeah. Deadwood, oh, baby. Deadwood comes back uh, this weekend on HBO. That's right. Another right. sponsor mm-hmm. of the pod. Uh, so some uh, Kelly Braffitt tweeted out, News, very excited about getting the chance to tell this story, which has been living in my head for no shit 20 years. And here's the news item. And King had retweeted this. The first fantasy novel by the author of Save Yourself, Last Seen Leaving, and Josie and Jack, Kelly Braffitt's The Unwilling, a tale of magic, faith, and pride that tells the story of a young woman who grew up trapped by her magical connection to the heir of the empire. Ooh, good Star Wars book. Yeah. Thinking of herself as an afterthought, but who discovers that she does not have uh, to be given power. She can take it to Kathy Sagan at Mira in a two book deal for hardcover publication in winter of 2020. So, and King retweeted, this is going to be so good. It's a huge stamp. Huge, huge stamp. stamp. Congrats, Kelly. How about the May 7th? Well, it's he says the Colorado Kid is back. It's being reissued today. One of my two hard case crime books and a personal favorite of mine. Autocorrect tried to change the publisher to hardcore crime. It's that too. Have you read the Colorado Kid? Nope, I haven't either. I think Justin and Dan might be the only ones who have read it on the podcast. That speaks to Bag of Bones later. It does. Yeah, it so really we'll, does. We'll uh, we'll talk about that later. Oh yeah, you got to do this one because you love these little stamps that he he always gives. To what can forth. I say? May seventh. The looking forward to it. Chapter two. You should be. I've seen it and it's terrific. The trailer is coming <laughs> Thursday at noon. Ugh, you'll float. Uh, so, and we, we talked about the trailer. The King, uh, King likes uh, it too. It King likes everything. We've already gotten to this. No recommendation from him is trustworthy. The, the next one know, is, is Mike liked black summer. No, I'm saying uh, like it's a hit or miss. It is hit or miss, I know, I know. especially, but with the adaptation specifically, you can't trust them. Yeah. You can't trust them at all. Uh, skip this next one on May 15th. Go to the, okay. Yeah. Is it more tweets? Yep. We got more tweets, baby. So on this one, um, he, he, he basically tweeted out Brian Smith's zombies and backwoods redneck psychos collide. My new Novala from grindhouse press. So did he retweet it? Dirty rotten hippies. So he just retweeted this and just, that's another stamp from him also. Okay. Zombies or dirty rotten hippies by Brian Smith. It's a zombie book. Apparently he loves zombies. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, he also retweeted, um, uh, I just finished reading a head full of ghosts by Paul Tremblay and holy shit. This is the best horror novel I have read this year. I urge you guys, please read this. I need to geek out with people over this novel. That was Canary robot. And King responded. Yes, indeed. Scary shit within. We've talked about Tremblay on we the have. pod before. Uh, Mel loves him. Mm-hmm. I struggle with him. I liked head full of ghosts, but I've literally his two follow-up novels, uh, something, that has rock in the title that I can't remember. And then another <laughs> rock bottom remainders. Yes. No. Uh, now I'm blanking on the title. Oh, is the cabin at the end of the world was his most recent one. These are highly acclaimed books. This yeah. guy is like really highly acclaimed. I liked, um, head full of ghosts, but I didn't love it. And both the follow-up books, I bailed on a mid midway through. I'm just not into it. I'm more of a Jacob Tremblay fan. Yeah. Jake, uh, yeah I, was I love say, Jacob's yeah. books. Yeah. Uh, May 28th, if you're part of a book club, may I suggest The Guest Book by Sarah Blake? Lots to unpack there. Hmm. So The Guest Book by Sarah Blake, recommended by King. 
And then he, uh, the same day, retweeted Lawrence Block. Lawrence Block said, if you read Richard Schismar, eh, we know him. We do. If you read Richard Schismar's story at in At Home in the Dark, you'll want to jump on his new novella, The Girl on the Porch, from Sub Press. Well, let's just say we have some news regarding Richard Schismar. So. We got it. We got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So we got a new tweet category, The Shade of King. Is yeah. this him talking shit? This is him talking some shit. I'm into oh, it. Yeah. Mike, why don't you kick us off? On April 14th, uh, he tweeted, has anyone noticed that no news by Lone Star and I Feel Lucky by Mary Chaplin Carpenter are basically the same song. Ooh, Ooh hot burn. Yikes. Smoking. Um, I have not noticed that, Stephen. I haven't. What did he say on April 27th, Mac? Oh, I got an email from Netflix giving me their reasons for the price increase happening next month. The only one they left out was, we want to make more money. Ouch. Ow. Oh, burn. Hard. Ah. Oh. Burn notice. April 29th. This uh, is this is a pretty good one, though. I miss the Red Sox. I wish they were playing this year. Ah! Oh! Ah! God. We are on fire over here. What did he say on May 6th, Mike? Of course, for years, some people have told me I don't know how to end a story. I call bullshit on that, but everyone has an opinion. Smiley face. Oh, that searing smiley. Um, May 21st, New York Times lists the 20 best TV dramas, no Game of Thrones and no Sons of Anarchy. I feel these should have had places in the list, but I'm glad they got the shield in there. That show fundamentally changed TV. Um, I'm glad this is the last one. I don't want to talk about this. I really love Sons of Anarchy, but it went way off the rails at the end. And I, I loved it all the way through, but it, boy, did it go off the rails. The Shield, however. The Shield deserves to be on that. That deserves to be on that, but for sure. Sons of um, Anarchy, can we all just remember the fact that Stephen King is on Sons of yeah, Anarchy? He, he is, but and I love that episode. But I, I truly do love Sons, but I do feel like it overstated its welcome. Episode, episodes got like way too long. It was like hour and a half episodes every single episode. FX doesn't know how to hold back. They need to wrangle their, their creator showrunners in. Um, Game of Thrones is Game not deserved to be, not on, deserve to be on there at this point, unfortunately. Um, if they I ended mean, well, yeah, it's like it's like when movies win for special effects, and and if it was an, if there was an award for event television, it would it would be in there. You know, you know I mean? I, the the problem with Game of Thrones being on here, it, it's kind of like a you know Gerald's game. You know, it's that last ending is just uh, oh boy, we're not getting <laughs> that again. Holy shit! <laughs> anyway, woof woof. Guess what it is? Molly watch. Ah! Oh, I love this dog. Me too. April 22nd, Molly, a.k.a. the Thing of Evil, enjoys a good laugh as Mr. Goodmole pleads for mercy. And there's a photo of Molly playing with a little mole toy. Although it Mr. looks Good- like a hedgehog. Probably Mr. Goodmole. I think it's Mole-ray. Mr. Goodmole. Uh, and then that same day, King tweeted, if Molly thinks it's a mole, I call it a mole. You saw the teeth, right? Were you the person responding saying that's not a mole? I was, actually. I, actually, anytime he shares a photo of Molly, I comment to <laughs> him hoping that he sees it because I just love Corgi so much. Uh, uh, May 8th, after toppling her toy box late at night and killing a couple of unsuspecting stuffed animals, Molly, a.k.a. the thing of evil, of falls asleep in the wreckage. That is the cutest photo that he's posted of Molly since, like, I don't know, the last few months. It's really cute. She looks hungover, like, laying on her, all of her toys, and she clearly just took the toy box and spilled it over which corgis love to do because i think it's like almost like a hurting mechanism almost so can we think about how great it would be if king named his next dog bosch oh my gosh bosch dog please 
Please. Then we could do Bosch Watch, and mm-hmm. it would have multiple From our lips to your ear, Stephen. Uh. Uh, Mac, do you want this next one? King Scoops King, May 15th. The novel... Uh, it's supposed to be in which, in, I think. The novel in which Holly Gibney stars, still very much in work, is actually called If It Bleeds. That's supposed to be his 2020 novel. Ah. Mm. Well, it's a Holly Gibney novel. Uh, your mileage may vary. She was in the Mr. Mercedes trilogy and popped back in The Outsider to, in my opinion, diminishing returns. Oh, what can no. I say? I like Holly as a supporting character, but I'm not sure she uh, necessarily has the chops to maintain a novel. She's a little, uh, she's a little too folksy for me. So well, not maybe, maybe, uh, this change, maybe this one will change your mind. Uh, King Scoops Feldman. Talk yeah. about this, Mike. So Corey Feldman had tweeted, happy 22nd, everyone, everybody. Have you heard this exciting news? Hashtag SBM fans. Stand by me. Yes. News of deleted scenes has me excited. Screening Jerry O'Connell pl- place with Will Wheaton. He's kind of just joking around saying we all need to set up a screening together. Revisit Stand By Me in 4K Ultra HD with never before seen footage. So this is one of many King titles coming to 4K this year, uh, including a brand new restoration of The Shining, which has some pretty cool cover art. Also. Nice. So, um, Look for that if you are collecting 4K. I don't really collect 4K releases, but I'll probably pick up these because I don't have them on Blu-ray. So I am uh, I'm fascinated by Corey Feldman as a human being. Uh, very interested in this news. Mm-hmm. So let's move on. On writing part two is our next section. May 26. This is some writing advice from King. Extended metaphors are best avoided. My advice is to make a quick comparison and then get on with it. And then he followed up with, I chase the bright elusive butterfly of love clad in the boots of idealism to protect from the poison ivy of cynicism and carrying the net of hope. Uh, here's the thing. Just like when he's just like when he said, <laughs> never use the phrase, what was the phrase he said never to use? I think it was amazing. was one of the, no, well maybe, but there was like another one that was like a couple words. And then immediately some of our listeners like found examples mm-hmm. of him using yeah, it. Yeah. The th- I feel like they're right on the tip of my tongue, but I can't place them. King loves an extended metaphor. Oh, absolutely. He's done it. Like this is why his books are so long. It's yeah. because he will spend three pages on an extended metaphor. No, take out the extended metaphors and like the the stand, and it's like three hundred pages shorter, probably. Yeah. So but would it be um, as good? Wait, what? Would it be as good? No, uh, it's a bold statement. It is. Uh, <laughs> or next, bold hypothesis. Hypothesis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mac, next one. Uh, all right, we move on down to uh, Saturday Night Live's "Deep Thoughts" by Stephen King. April 29th on John Singleton. I miss him. He was really something special. RTW. He retweeted. Uh, John, John Singleton was offered $100,000 to walk on Boys in the Hood, 1991. They wanted an experienced director, but responded, I'm doing this movie. This is the movie I was born to make. The film made more money per screen than Terminator 2 and received a 20-minute ovation at Cannes. Of course, he's referring to the late John Singleton. Yeah. Who yes. died... Uh, earlier this month, very sad. Very sad. I love Boys in the Hood, mm-hmm. and they're doing. Are uh, they showing one of these at um, in Chicago? Yeah, 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 yeah. the music box. They're showing three different John Singleton films, oh, which wow. I'm excited because um, Poetic Justice I've never seen, and they're showing. That's uh, great so movie. I want to see all these on the on the big screen. Then. Huge John Singleton fan was very upset when he died. I had to pre-draft the obit because yeah. he had uh, suffered a stroke and went into a coma. It went on for a few days. Yeah. 
May 4th. This might be a good day to hunt out my Donna Summer and Tina Turner EPs. Gotta hanker on to hear I Feel Love and One of the Living, like nine times each. Okay. All right, buddy. He's He's got some random uh, musical taste sometimes. Yeah. But I, hey, I, I love Donna Summer and I love Tina Turner. So I oh, could just Tina imagine Turner. him in his dad jeans, just you know, dancing along <laughs> oh, in his yeah, living room. Yeah. With Molly? Oh, yeah, Molly barking. Uh, May 22nd. Operating under the theory that the only stupid question is the one you don't ask, a postulate with which some may disagree, I pose this. Why is mayonnaise white? In which he proceeded to reply to himself. One wit tweets, because it has mayonnaise in it. Bada boom. May 22nd, same day. Another wit, because if it was red, it would be ketchup. This is why I like Twitter. Everybody's Chris Rock. May 22nd, more wit. If it was green, it would be snot. Okay, I get it. Stupid question. Now, he (laughs) apparently only asked this and tweeted this because he was watching the Red Sox and got bored during it. That sounds about right. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> just like, was he, was he just like, like handcuffed somewhere and didn't have anything else to do? The, the, the thing is, I, I only reason why I included this in here is because I think it really does show his personality a little bit and just how these random things kind of pop up into his he's head. I, silly, I don't know. I love it. He's just a silly dad. Yeah. May 27th. <laughs> Sorry to hear, hear Bill Buckner passed. He was a lot more than his miscue against the Mets in 1986. Well, you kind of uh, slipped there and said heel. And that actually fits Bill heel. Buckner because the ball went past his heels, and which is why the Red Sox uh, lost the 86 series. Yeah. Well, he's also he was also in uh, a Kirby Enthusiasm uh, with the baby. With the oh, was the baby. he? Yeah. Nice. It's kind of a, a weak episode, but whatever. <laughs> uh, this last one comes today. Um, literally like a few hours ago, uh, King oh, retweeted okay. Ramsey Campbell. Uh, who oh, tweeted, I love Ramsey Campbell. My good old friend Dennis Etchinson has gone, irreplaceable and very much missed. Oh man, yeah, he died today. That sucks. Yeah, Wait, that's who, who that's he? a connection with Halloweenies, also. Yeah, Etchison uh, wrote some of the novelizations for Halloween, and he was also a horror science fiction writer, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And uh, a big King was always a big fan. He mentions him in um, uh, Dance Macabre, and ah. yeah, and. Uh, yeah, that's a super bummer. I didn't realize. I didn't hear that. Yeah, and he was the one that came up with for Halloween Four, which was one that I would still love to see. Yeah, the the that that's, that's original idea for Halloween Four. That yeah, cerebral that's take so where cool. he's like a ghost and appears as this giant. And, yeah. and if you want to hear more about that, definitely go listen to our Halloween Four episode. We talked about that at nauseum. Mm-hmm. Big stuff. Because <laughs> we really wanted to see it. Yeah, we did. Well. Ending on a bit of a downer note there, but luckily the sun is shining in Hollywood, which is where we're going to talk Hollywood King. There's a town on the coast of Del Sol, always find my way there. There's a place that the calls to my soul, always find my way there. People there are forever young, forever young. And they toast to each other's love each and every night. Whoa! The sun's so bright, I gotta wear shade. So is the future. I fucked up the quote. No, that's so. good. Timbuktu. Uh, or three? <laughs> I don't know. Timbuktu. The sun's bright here in Hollywood, King. I love being in Hollywood, cruising down the 405 with the top down with King and Molly in Molly's between us. Out the window. It, looks like, it looks like I need to go to Sunglass Hut to get some, some shades. It's true. Um, it's and you know, who else is a, you know who else is in the car? Richard Cheesemar. Oh. The man himself. Uh, the Cemetery Dance. Uh, is he the owner of Cemetery Dance? He's is the he founder. 
on it. He's the founder of Cemetery Dance, which puts out amazing uh, editions of King's works. And he also is a great writer in himself because we were big fans of Gwendy's Button Box. And guess who's back? Yeah. Yeah. Gwendy's back, baby. Uh, (laughs) King. (laughs) Well, King collaborated with Cheesemar on the first Gwendy's Button Box, but now Cheesemar has written a sequel, and it's called Gwendy's Magic Feather. And King wrote an introduction, and the title of the introduction is How Gwendy Escaped Oblivion. And this is a, an excerpt from the introduction. In the story you're about to read, lucky you, all of Rich's formidable skills are on display. He evokes Castle Rock well, and the regular Joes and regular Jills that populate the town ring true. We know these people, and so we care for them. We also care for Gwendy. To tell you the truth, I sort of fell in love with her and i'm delighted that she's back for more um side note yeah how do we feel about king like like letting someone else just write like i mean this takes place in castle rock and i know that he he was it was co-written with him but how do we feel about him just like stepping away and like someone's writing a essentially a stephen king sanctions it's weird yeah that is is, weird i mean it's this isn't like a television series this isn't castle rock you know that that obviously they took some licenses and just kind of ran with it but what if he know. references like every Castle Rock story ever? Like Cujo's in it, like Ace Merrill's in it. <laughs> so uh, you better not open that box. Like they just say that Needful Things store is open again. <laughs> well, because honestly, Gwenny's button box took place in the far past, like the seventies, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so all those read, things could be there. Yeah. The why don't you read the synopsis here? Okay. Because okay. it's the future. Something evil has swept into the small western main town of Castle Rock on the heels of the latest winter storm. Sheriff Norris Ridgwick ah, and his team are desperately searching for two missing girls, but time is running out to bring them home alive. In Washington, D.C., 37-year-old Gwendy Peterson couldn't be more different from the self-conscious teenage girl who once spent a summer running up Castle Rock's suicide stairs. That same summer she was entrusted, or some might say cursed, with the extraordinary button box by Richard Ferris, the mysterious stranger in the black suit. The seductive and powerful box offered Gwendy small gifts in exchange for his care and feeding until Ferris eventually returned, promising Gwendy she'd never see the box again. One day, though, Jesus, it's a long synopsis. Yeah, no joke. The button box shows up without warning and without Richard Ferris to explain why or what he's supposed to do with it. The mysterious reappearance of the box, along with the troubling disappearances in Castle Rock, leads Wendy home again, where she just might be able to help rescue the missing girls and stop a madman before he does something ghastly. That's a lot of stuff going on. I wonder if the uh, the madman is Frank Dodd. <laughs> it's- He's well, back. she's older now, he's so I back. guess I guess these are going to take place <laughs> in modern of, times. Yeah. So it's this weird amalgamation of the ghost of Dodd and Cujo. <laughs> yeah. so, it's, so, so it's Cujo in the coat. It's Cujo from King Street. That'd be cool. <laughs> Walking if, around like McGruff. I would love it if it was like McGruff. <laughs> the book comes out on November 19th. 2019. Mm. So we'll look forward to that. We'll give it a read because we got to because it's Castle Rock books. We got to see how it fares. And let's just say we're going to be spending some time in Castle Rock in the very near future. Mm-hmm. Not just in our Four Past Midnight episode where the Sun Dog takes place, but also Needful Things, which is the quote unquote final Castle Rock book. Spoiler alert, Apparently it not. wasn't. It was. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, classic King. So let's move on. Uh, speaking of Castle Rock. Uh, Mac, do you want to take this? Yeah, sure. Uh, Greg Yatanis, who directed the episode The Queen, which is a great episode. Great episode. Season one of Castle Rock is back for season two, now in production. And I'm probably butchering this, but Yatanis 
Yatinas? Yatins. Yatins? is directing the premiere and one more episode. Well, that's good news. That is good news. And uh, there's a little quote here. We wanted to evolve the look on a visual level and move more and be with the characters more. Yatinis told the Indie Wire. One of the things that worked well with the Queen was point of view. That episode had a strong point of view of character. So we're bringing that into Annie's story and giving the show, and that's Annie from Annie Wilkes, Misery, Annie Misery. Wilkes, uh, and Lizzie giving Kaplan. the show more urgency this year, more tension. We're taking the things that worked well in season one and taking them up a level. Okay. We're seeing more of Castle Rock than we did last year. It's set back in the town. We're going back to familiar places and new places the story didn't touch on. Okay. So <laughs> this is what the, the question me. is: What did they feel worked in season one? Exactly. Because if it's I, what I felt like didn't work, what I felt really worked was all the new stuff. Yes, and the characters that we didn't know. Although I, I, I mean, I do love Pangborn, <laughs> but like you know, for the most part. What was interesting about that story was that we hadn't seen it. We didn't know what was going to happen, and we were mm-hmm. very interested in it. The fact that there's a lot of characters from past books in this, or we're seeing backstories of like Annie Wilkes. Or, look, prequels, you you think people want to see these things, and they think that they do too, but they are never going to be what you want, and they're always going to be disappointing at least half of your audience. I don't understand why we continue to do these rehashes of things just tell new stories, please. Mm-hmm. But like, you having know, said that, yeah. But I'll just say, I'm that, looking forward to Sam's life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'll say though, like, I feel like what the what parts of the first season did really well was take the existing world mm-hmm. of Castle Rock and the and like kind of the tone and the approach that Stephen King usually uses, and in some of those episodes, it executed it really well. Or it was like, okay, like, let's let's take this world and tell our own stories within it, and and honor the way King tells stories and kind of bring that to TV and tell new stories. So I agree with you about new stories. And then I think that's what's so disappointing and why we all kind of like laughed a little bit when we saw the synopsis for this season was because it felt like fan fiction. It's like, how can we cram together Salem's Lot and Misery with Castle Rock, which is insane. (laughs) And and I felt like, you know, well, Ace Merrill's in this, right? Yeah, I'm excited about Ace Merrill. This is a character that's never really been like a gigantic character where the story was about him. Now, I know he's in Needful Things, right? Yeah. And he's also obviously in Stand By Me. But I think... That's those are the kinds of characters that you can pull into these things. Like yeah. I'm surprised. Like Pangborn was uh, was a pretty big character, and that was that was huge. But again, it moved the story forward, and it was a future story that we yeah. had. We didn't know what happened to him when he got older, etc. So that was interesting to me. What is not interesting to me is is going back to Annie Wilkes. Yeah, I, agree. I love Lizzie I agree. Kaplan, and I love the the girl that's playing her daughter. Uh, Elsie Fisher. Elsie Fisher's great. Yeah. I I just. I don't know. So jury's out for me on on whether this is going to be any good. I cannot wait to watch it, though, because I'm just chomping at the bits, you know, as we get this news. I don't know if they're going to succeed, but if they do, if they do, and Salem's Lot is used in a good way, I would love to return to the town of Salem's Lot. Me too. Well, I guess it's like for me, I don't want revisionist history Mm -hmm. within the King canon, which is what we're getting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like here's it's like. Like, we know, like, no spoilers, but, like, you know, there's a certain, like, if you read the entirety of King's work, you know what Ace's journey is. Yeah. And 
so I'm wondering, it's like, how does this story fit into his arc and does it change the way that his arc plays out? And same with Annie, like she doesn't have a daughter in the movie or the book, obviously. So in misery. So now she has a daughter and she's played by Lizzie Kaplan and, and none of it feels uh, true to the book or to the world that King created. So I feel like we're getting a little bit of, cause whatever happens here is clearly going to impact her in a major way. Yeah. And I, I'm just like, I just don't, I don't want revisionist history. I don't want like to take King's world and then rewrite it. I want mm-hmm. you to take King's world and tell new stories within exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I just, I just don't want there to be like funny nods and puns to like, you know, like, oh, like oh, Jackie the, the, end, the end of the first, <laughs> the end of the, of the seasons, like jumps forward a little bit or something. It's like, Oh, have you read that new book? It's on the shelves. It's misery. Oh. You know, oh, you know what? Like, I guarantee you that's. I guarantee happen. you there will be Paul Sheldon that, jokes. That's yeah. that's that's. But like, what are you reading over there? Oh, it's just this book that I like. It's or this, this new author, author named Paul Sheldon. He's he's really good. And that's the know? thing. It's like it's those quick fix things that I don't like about. And it's all it's all the Jackie Torrance stuff. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and I and again, they obviously didn't go in that direction. So. People must, they must not have felt like that worked or people must have been complaining about it enough. So maybe they are listening to the fans and maybe they are pulling back and really focusing on making this scary and more of a King-esque thing um, and not not so much playing on that. But I don't know. Like you, I agree with you, Randall, This re- the revisionist history angle of it. It's never interesting to me. I, I'm just so tired of these prequels because it's like there's no stakes there. We know Meryl lives. We know any. We, we, they, they're never going to be in peril. So I'm not really scared about these characters at all, unless and, they're the ones inflicting. But then we know again that they're going to get away. Well, based on our conversations that we had with the showrunners last year, they seem to take. You know, they're going to be liberal with the source material. You know, they're going to do what they want to do. So it's very well possible that they could change the outcome of what happens to some of these characters, which again, though, I don't really want, though. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm like, saying. What, I don't you want gonna make, that. Are you going to turn, like, what are you going to do? How are you going to make that interesting enough to beat the book Misery? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you're going to change it, it would have to be something that would be better than the story that we know. I just don't see that happening. You well, know? here's like, the question is, is this going to be in the past or is this actually going to be in the present? And we're just going to assume that Annie Wilkes just hasn't happened yet. No, like, I think they do. They no, do say that it takes place like in the eight or like, Oh, I think it's earlier than that. Yeah. It's earlier than that. And it just makes me wonder about Salem's lot too. Mm-hmm. Like, like does this take place before uh, the events of Salem lot happen? And does that mean that the end of the season will be, you know, suddenly, Oh, who's here? Uh, yeah. uh, looks like, it looks like a that, man named Strakers moving. I in. think this takes place well before any of those events. So, so Ooh, there's I, a hot young writer the in with, town. The thing with Salem's ben Lot, though, is, is also that Salem's Lot was, oh. is also a very haunted town that, you know, there's probably been multiple things that have happened there over the years. It, it was always a kind of a cursed town, just like Castle Rock is. So I, I don't mind them using that in the story. I just, yeah, what we don't need, and, and, and we're kind of, we're jumping ahead of the game because I don't know if they're going to do any of this. But we don't need these little tie-ins to King. We know it's Stephen King. You've got huge characters in this season that are Stephen King characters. So I just hope there's no there's no like cute references because there are really random or blatant like like the, like the Metal Tiger and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Like yeah. that's fine because, yeah, because those not, are just locations. If you're, if you're a Stephen King fan, you get that. But if you're not, it doesn't. You don't feel left out. But how are you going to watch this season? 
and not knowing misery or if you're not a Stephen King fan, you're just watching this season. Like, how do you enjoy it? Like I know like my, one of my best friends said he didn't watch Castle Rock because he felt like he wasn't going to be able to enjoy it because he's not, did not, does not follow Stephen King and felt like there was going to be a lot of Stephen King references and things. And that was the, the, the great part about the first season of Castle Rock was that I felt like anybody could watch it. If you're a King fan, you get the little, the little extra nods, the little extra stuff, the background things, the what maybe where some of this is taking place. But you absolutely do not need to know that to watch that season and enjoy it, the story they're telling. You know what I mean? It might make you interested in going and watching or reading past Castle Rock stories, and then you'll get the jokes. You'll be in on it. But you don't need to know that. This is a little bit like – because even though it's happening before, if they just keep nodding to any rep- – or make references to things that you're supposed to know, like I, I just think it's going to be a disservice to those characters and to the series. No, I agree. and I, And it would be just – annoying you know like i i didn't like any of that stuff in the in the first season and my biggest fear is is that's what they think worked and however again we don't know we don't know so i i just hope that like you know if we're gonna get some being cautious fellows like indiana jones and uh (laughs) i think that ultimately as we go into this uh season i want to be pleasantly surprised so i'm actually glad that my expectations are low yeah um and you know what? What's great though about this series is that it's going to continue to be an anthology esque season, kind of like Fargo. It's still take place in the same town, different era, whatever. So if we don't like this, we're probably not going to see these characters again, right? You know what I mean? There would be another season, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully, it does well enough that there's another season. But um, I, I would think, love to see them just go back to like the 1800s or something. Yeah, they'll never really do that though. That because they, they they just need because they need. The, the the IP and the the names like like the fact that they're doubling down like on Annie Wilkes they, 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 only they, goes to show that like Hulu's probably like hey we need to get more pronounced with Stephen King names and let's go for someone that people are really going to know Misery is one of his top novels yeah. let's go in with that Salem's and that's a top novel so you know maybe we'll see uh, her uh, hobbler cut off uh, Ben Neer's legs or something like that that'd be fun um, <laughs> I love your books Ben what if oh, they boy. did that they might though I know and that's kind of scary <laughs> Let's move on. Um, Listen up, Alex, is your headline. You want to explain that one? Because I, I get it. Well, it's a reference to Alex Ross Perry's Listen Up, Philip, which right. is uh, one of his more uh, breakthrough films. Legendary has attached Alex Ross Perry to write and direct a film adaptation of King's Rest Stop, which was first published in the December 2003 issue of Esquire. Um do we know? Wait, uh, have you seen her smell? I have not seen her smell, though it is a uh, a favorite on uh, Consequence of Sound. I'm a huge, huge fan of her smell. Uh, uh, that I wanna, is, I want to watch it. Really Alex bad. Ross Perry's latest movie. It stars Elizabeth Moss as sort of a Courtney Love type rock star. It is very good. It's mm-hmm. probably in my top three of the year. Bully does the music, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and the music's excellent. And uh, and Alex Ross Perry also did Queen of Earth and Listen Up, Philip, and all of them star Elizabeth Moss, right? He, uh, well, yeah, those two do. But then um, I believe he did another one that didn't. That was I think was the one that he did right before. Her oh, smell. Okay. so yeah. you know, so it's he's a very interesting filmmaker and definitely has kind of a certain aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And I'm very very curious about him doing King because and then you know he's doing this. Um, this it's a novella or it's a short story that's in just after sunset. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was first published in Esquire and then it popped up in 2008's just after sunset. And I haven't read it, but Justo has. And I was talking to him about it and I also did some research about it. And that story is about 
basically um, a guy who is at a rest stop and he has like a pen name that he uses. Yeah. It's very dark half. And he kind of morphs into his pen name to uh, deal with an instance of domestic abuse that he sees at the rest stop. Whereas this movie is described as a propulsive cat and mouse yeah. thriller that follows the twisted journey of two women after a fateful encounter at a highway rest stop. Well, I think there is a role for Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Maybe we can get Mackenzie Davis in there too. That'd be cool. I'm in. Uh, I love them both. And I trust Alex Ross Perry as a director. I think it sounds like he's taking, I don't know. It almost feels inevitable like this. I mean, I'm not saying this is a bad thing necessarily, but you know, it's like the, if you think about the way that Stephen King renaissances have worked over the years, eventually you hit that point where people are just taking the IP and they're, Mm -hmm. it's like children of the corn, it's lawnmower man. And obviously Alex Ross Perry is a, is a huge step above these other directors. And I welcome him sort of maybe playing with toying with the material a little bit, but we are going to reach that point where people are just like, well, he's IP and we want to tell other stories under his name. Yeah. I mean, you you do have Craig Flores of 300 and 300 rise of the empire. You know, these just, I, I, I'm, I will see now again, I haven't read the story. I haven't read the story, so it'll be interesting for me because I'll probably watch the movie before I reread the story. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the thing is, the thing with this is that like the high profile director, at least compared to some of the ones that have been attached to forthcoming adaptations coming up. I Mm -hmm. mean, the exception of Mike Flanagan, I mean, some of the, the the talent that's been attached to some of these titles have just been like, well, I don't know. You got James Wan and Gary Doberman, and those guys are big deals in oh, their but world. But James Wan's not going to direct it. Yeah, but Doberman and James Wan have more Hollywood cred oh. than Alex Ross Perry. Alex Ross Perry's got indie cred, and but it's his movies don't make a lot of money. But they're really good. You know well, what I mean? I mean, Annabelle Comes Home cannot wait. Dogman's uh, back. Dogman's back, back with baby. some more horror stories. Man, I saw that trailer in the theaters the other day, and I just couldn't handle it. Yeah, I had to write it up the other day. Well, let's move on. <laughs> Suddenly Susan. Uh, Suddenly Max, Susan. you want to take this one? Yeah, Joanna Ribeiro and Anna Pedrao. 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 Have been cast as Susan Delgado and her aunt. Ribeiro, Lisbon, Portugal. Ribeiro's from, she's from Lisbon, Portugal. Portugal. She's an actress known for Dancing Days, 2012, Madre Paula, 2017, and The Black Book in 2018. Has anyone seen these movies? I have not. No. So I don't know. I, I, I like the unknown aspect of this. I do too. As previously reported, Amazon has tapped both Sam Strike from Mind Flyers and Jasper Pekernan. Pakan? Uh, it's Kernan. I, I know how to. I know, I know a little. Uh, a little. Uh, was this German? They're onks. Those umlas? No, they're not. Uh, yeah, they're umlas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's in from Black Black Klansman. Uh, and he's really good in that. Yeah, he's great. Uh, for their forthcoming series being developed by Glenn Mazzara. Ooh, from the shield. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But it's like, I like Glenn Mazzara, but he's not the reason the shield yeah, is good. Yeah. He's good. He's a good writer. He's the reason the walking dead was good. I know. That's yeah. the thing is if you look at his other credits, like, yeah, that dude worked on the shield, but it's not like he tr- blazed a trail of great shows after that. I gotcha. Um, strike will play Roland, uh, the gunslinger and who, uh, who will follow Pekernan's, Man in Black. What's more, Jerome Flynn has been cast as an undisclosed role, and he was seen on set in leaked photos. It appears that Joanna Ribeiro 
was also seen too. It looks era specific to the book. Now I saw these photos earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike shared them with us and uh, I, I like the look of it because it, the town in which they're in or wherever it might be, which I'm assuming is Gilead looks um, a little run down, but mm-hmm. very old, but everyone's looks very well to do. And even their um, costumes seem Sometimes this doesn't work where it's like, oh, we just got these right off the rack. But if this is supposed to be pre pre fall of Gilead, yeah, I I, I believe that everyone's like dressed in their best. Um, I, I don't know. I, I it's literally two photos of like yeah. the people standing around. Uh, I'm interested. I'm interested. You know, I mean, it's it definitely th- this this feels more. Um, the look of this is more what I have in mind when yeah. I think of Gilead from the books than than the 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 new age kind of. I didn't like. You the mean Gilead. the YA I Dark like Tower the that came out in, in 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 the Dark Tower movie? No, I don't think we liked much of anything. Although we, the, I don't know the if idea, they're not Gilead, I don't, but the, the the look of it. The, I don't know if they're in Gilead because if this is oh, based really? on Wizard and Glass, then what? Is it's it? not based on Wizard and Glass. It's, I think I think it's telling. I think it's telling the origin story of Roland, and because they're going to cast Martin, but they and, cast Susan Delgado. She's in Wizard and Glass. She is. We might, we might. I think this might build to Wizard and Glass, but I think that it's going to start God, somewhere. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, they, maybe. they're definitely going to show Gilead, but I she's standing. Were, but I thought that they were going to be doing like the stories we get of Roland, young Roland from. I think they are from the book one. Yeah, yeah but Susan lives in Barony of Meggies, yeah, if I'm saying right. it right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, and that is book four. So, and you know, that's where she lives, and she's his first love, if you remember from Wizard well, yeah, of Oz. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a very important thing. So, uh, but we also didn't clarify who is Jerome Flynn, uh, Braun from Game of Thrones. Braun from Game of Thrones, who I'm excited because I think he is the he is a perfect fit for yeah. this world. And I also agree. I love the photos that uh, was posted on Lilja's library, or is it? I'm probably saying it wrong, but that's like classic King site. They usually have the scoops, and um, yeah, I, I when they cast him, I thought that he was going to be court. Me yeah. too. And that's I, what I, thought. I felt like this was good, but now I'm now I kind of feel like he's going to be one of like the coffin hunters. Mm-hmm. He would so, be a good uh, coffin hunter. Yeah. When we so, wrote it up on on AVC, we basically were just like, man, this guy would be a good Jonas. Yeah. He, that's yeah, what I yeah. think, and that's what Birth Movies Death was pretty much yeah. like circling around. Also, yeah. probably will be the main lead for the coffin hunters. I yeah. would imagine. I'm into it. But I mean, it could be a mix of everything. You know, it could start with him and Gilead. It could start with Court. It could, you know, incorporate. Um, Jamie DeCurry and Hacks and all those other characters from those early things. Well, and then, I, I guess my thought was that we're gonna. It's going to maybe possibly the events that happen in, in the flashbacks from the gunslinger and like him becoming a gunslinger and his sort of relationship with his mother and and the man in black. I think that all that stuff might be there, and then while simultaneously developing Susan's character and Meiji's yes. before they meet. Yes, and that would be like a cool point where they do meet. Uh, I, I'm down with that. I'm down for them to explore all of that because I love Wizard of Glass and I love mm-hmm. the, the history is so lush and I love the comic adaptations of these things and seeing the world that we don't really ever get to see uh, pre, you know, yeah. fall. Uh, so I'm excited. How exciting is it that like if they're filming right now, this is definitely going to come out it's in 2020 happening. then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's Soon-ish. crazy. But it's still so weird that Amazon hasn't released anything official. It is It is weird. But I will say I think that... they're waiting. I think they're waiting for the Game of Thrones thing to die down because this is going to be very much a... Um, uh, it's, just, it's a new science fiction fantasy yeah. epic. And you know, I think that they're waiting for, to, for the bad taste of that to leave 
and then they're going to But also the bad taste of the Dark Tower movie. Yeah. This is why I think it's actually, and I'm actually, like you mentioned earlier, I'm excited that there's like no names in this. I mean, uh, I love that I don't, like Jerome Flynn's the biggest name that they've got in this because that to me is exciting. I I feel like that's, I think the expectations were maybe too high when you, I love Idris Elba and I wish, and maybe, and that's, well, no, I was going to say, maybe they can bring him back, but I'm like, no, not with the guy they cast as young Roland. But I would say that like, I really liked who they cast um i mean i love the idea of mcconaughey in the dark tower movie he just wasn't good but i mm-hmm. loved roland in that movie and i love tom taylor in that movie but you know i think that i i like that they're starting fresh with this series i like that they're casting no names and i like that maybe it's just kind of keeping it low profile because i want the stakes to be low you know yeah because if they keep the stakes low and they don't go too overblown with it then maybe the emphasis won't be so much on like is this a sustainable property like in terms of in big hollywood money like maybe they can just be like, hey, we're not too expensive. We're not asking for big money for these stars or anything. Let us tell our story, which is, you know, all I want from a Dark Tower thing is time to tell the yes, story. Exactly. You know what I mean? So it's like the more low stakes, the better. Like, just let them tell the story. It also helps that literally everything is just there. Yeah. This isn't Game of Thrones that still needs to be written. Like, it's all just sitting there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I mean, look, I'm not on these Dark Tower episodes, but there is a lot of room for improvement. And if there's one way to do that, it's by going back into the past and kind of ironing it out so that you can kind of build a really strong base for when you actually do get to the gunslinger. And that yeah. first book means so fucking much yeah. because you know so much more about and it. And yeah. you, can, you can even omit stuff like Song of yeah. Susanna. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> let's not go through there because that is a classic King you know, book. I, I got to um, say, I was on the train the other day and I was reading... Uh, I was reading The Secret Window, uh, and <laughs> this guy next to me pulls out Song of Susanna. Wait, really? And I almost wanted, I almost asked him to take a picture with me. Oh, my God. Books, that is so I, funny. Uh, I chickened out. I have those moments <laughs> when I see, like, my wife and I were on the train the other day, and somebody was reading King, and she's like, look, look. And I'm like, don't point at One him. point. <laughs> what, what, what was he reading? Oh, <laughs> uh, what was it? It was like, it was, uh, oh, it was just it, you know. Yeah, but yeah. it's like, it, makes sense. it was just fucking it. <laughs> hey, it's coming out uh, September 6th. Oh, wait, when? Uh, September shit. Wait, what did I say before? I think you said September 5th. No, but that's not Friday. Let me look this up. It's after Labor Day. Well, it's definitely after Labor Day. And I want to say it's nine. What's after five, six, nine, six, maybe. Yeah. I think it's September 6th, September 6th. Mac, what day did you hear it comes out? You were the one who had a a definitive answer. Ultimately, when I first heard about it, it was September 6th. Uh, Has that changed? I think it's not changed. Okay, good. I think it is just September 6th, from what I can well, gather. Well, according to IMDb, it does come out on 6 September 2019. Okay, cool. Wait, wait, it was 6 September. What does that mean? Well, September 6th. But you're saying it in the wrong order. Well, it's because it's listed If that that's way. what it yeah. says on IMDb, it might be... Maybe that means 6-9, maybe June 9th. No, I wish it was June 9th. That's coming up around the corner. Remember, remember the 6th of September. Oh, All right. my God. Uh, it's going to be a, it's, in that movie. It's going to be... <laughs> a long walk home is the next uh, one. I'll take this and that's one. That's a Bruce Springsteen reference. It is. Uh, hopefully, he stars in this movie. <laughs> what oh. if Bruce played Ray Garrity? Oh my god, that'd be great. Like, and he, they just, like they didn't put makeup on him. He just was playing this sixteen-year-old kid. He's just sitting there. He's like, yeah, this is a, this is a long walk. <laughs> A guitar around his, his back, like Larry Underwood in the stand. So why'd you bring your guitar with you? This is, you have to walk for days. <laughs> he's, 
I'm gonna sing it. Let me sing it a little song. He loves his shoes on the bed. Laces up, kids. A little over a year ago, it was reported that New Line Cinema was interested in finally adapting Stephen King's 1979 dystopian novel, Long Walk, written under the Bachman name, the best Bachman book. Yes. I think we've all decided. Easily. Uh, in fact, they even had a screenwriter in James Vanderbilt, who, and I was bitchy about this uh, on on text the other day, but uh, because he wrote the Amazing Spider-Man movies and Independence Day Resurgence. Was it called Resurgence? It is Resurgence. Yeah. yeah and, but, Worst sequel nice. of the decade. But... He also wrote Zodiac. He wrote, and I love that you put the rundown in here. I kind of like the rundown from 2003, starring uh, The Rock and Sean William Scott. With a cameo by Arnold. Is Arnold in it? He's a, he has a cameo. I in don't even remember that. Oh, yeah. But uh, but the thing, I remember reading about it, and James Van, and you know, here's the thing. If you're a screenwriter and you're getting offered that Independence Day resurgence money, A, you're not turning it down, and B, you're just doing what the producers tell mm-hmm. you, because you have no say in what that story is. If you're a screenwriter, it is like, we want these set pieces hit those beats. So I am very optimistic because he wrote this uh, script for the long walk on spec. He's loved the story for like his entire life based on comments, called it a passion project. And he waited around until Darabont gave it the rights. It took, yeah, he waited around for it. It, It's like, it's, it's a project he's been working on for ages. And we heard about this more than a year ago. And you know, there's so many projects in development that were like, well, this will probably fall by the wayside, but we got some good news. Um, They got a director variety report. This was like a couple weeks ago, last week maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andre Overdahl, Overdahl, I'm probably saying it wrong, mm-hmm. um, who's already broken in his souls in the thriller genre, having helmed 2016's The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which was pretty good. And we watched that in uh, your old apartment. Yeah, I think that, that was also a King recommended. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. And uh, and then he's he directed this August Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Which, which honestly, based on the trailer, I'm still really excited for. Yeah, I'll watch it. I'm excited yeah. for so it. So I'm definitely going to watch it. Uh, the trailers have been lackluster to me. I just, I don't, again, that's, that to me, those trailers look like IP. And that's it. Like, we're taking the images, we're taking Stephen Gamble's images from Scary Stories and doing our own thing with them. And if that's what they're doing, that's not interesting to me. However... It could. What if it ends up being completely crazy, scary, and you know what I mean? But yeah. I don't know. I I, I I like the autopsy of Jane Doe. I thought that that was patient. I agree. And scary. And I think that the long walk needs patience. Yeah. So I think that 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 is a good. That's a good. Uh, a sign for me. Not only was Jane Doe patient, it also had that sort of swagger that old John Carpenter movies. Yeah, did. and Long Walk screams of John Carpenter. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited. And this is this is one of this moved up to my I'd top say it's, five uh, anticipated adaptations. Yeah, most anticipated, me. and it's from New Line. They did uh, the It movies, and they're also behind the, the really cool Salem's Lot. Salem's uh, Lot with James Wan, Gary Doberman. But hey, at least we don't have Doberman on this movie. Yeah, so that's that's a good thing. I am. I, I think that. What would Doberman even be able to add a jump scare to? He would just put a scare. fucking nun walking alongside a <laughs> little. Hey, who's that weird specter next to us? Like oh, Catholicism, scary. Ooh, um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited for Long Walk. It's it's been screaming for an adaptation for yeah. ages. It's like such a perfect sort of you know YA kind of um, like that's the thing is it can have YA elements to it and it can have that mass appeal, but I think it would work for anybody. And, you know, and the thing is, like, it was written in the 70s, I feel like, but I feel like it could be updated in really interesting ways. I agree. So, you know, so, yeah, I'm I'm very, very optimistic about that one. I'll take this next story. The Eyes of My Hulu. Hulu has made a deal to develop a pilot based on the King novel Eyes of the Dragon. 
which was first published in 1984, and we covered it on the Losers Club podcast that you're listening to right now last year. Uh, Seth Graham Smith, who did uh, everyone's favorite Lego Batman movie, he's writing the opening episode, and he's going to serve as the showrunner. Uh, Fox 21 is the studio. Graham and his Cat Smith partner, David Katzenberg, are going to be executive producers along with Bill Haber, not Bill Hader, Roy Lee, <laughs> and John Berg. Uh, I am so excited to be working in the world of Stephen King with Hulu, which has such a terrific track record with Stephen King adaptations, uh, Graham, says, Graham Smith told Deadline. And he's not wrong. I mean, between 1122 and uh, Castle mm-hmm. Rock. Um, yeah. yeah, I like uh, both of those. You know, I'm good the, with Hulu doing this, yeah. The goal for this series to feel unlike any Stephen King adaptation before with this rich underlying source material and the only true fantasy book he wrote that has kings and swords and princesses. We will honor the spirit of the book and the legacy. Um, well, the Dark Tower has some, you know, that's a genuine fantasy Well, this book. takes place in that world. So yeah. Eyes of the Dragon essentially was like a young a YA novel. <laughs> you know, like it... it, it I... I think it could work. Which is how I, they should market it, yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's... If I'm they, surprised it took this long. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know. And and I feel like... And there's, there's no dragon in this thing. You know, it's not... This isn't going to be like Game of Thrones or something. But I think that I think that people are jumping on those fantasy... Those fantasy novels, those fantasy thing to you know, to replace that, basically. And I think that they're, they're smart to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm very interested. They said that they're gonna not, they're gonna try to do this unlike any Stephen King adaptation. So that's but always yeah, interesting. I think uh, when they just say that, they're, well, this book is not like any other. Stephen it's King not true. Sure, no. It's not. So it, it won't take much. I think. I think honestly, Hulu doesn't really have a medieval show or anything like that. It doesn't, they probably want that. Yeah, they're gonna want that kind of. They're gonna want to tap into that kind of audience. I mean, Amazon's gonna have Lord of the Rings, um, to, and Dark Tower now, and Dark Tower. But do, you, trying, do we foresee this being like? A Nosferatu situation, like a CW esque. No, I know we haven't gotten there yet, but well, I don't. I mean, but even if it is, though, it suits it. I mean, a. I mean, it would, it would, it would suit be, it. It's not. It yeah. would be CW in yeah. medieval times, which is well, kind of funny. For those of you that don't know the story of Eyes of the Dragon, I think it's going to be very interesting because the main villain is the Man in Black. Yeah. So. Yeah, but they would probably divorce it from the larger mythology of King. Well, King they Roland. They don't have. I mean, it takes so it's place so long before that that they could still be the Men in Black, just you know, not tied in with anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who, so, play, who plays the eyes of the dragon? <laughs> who plays the eyes? Steve Buscemi. Probably, probably the the twins from uh, Full House. Oh. <laughs> The young so, twins. It, not Mary Kate and Ashley, but Nikki and Alex. <laughs> yeah, Nikki and Alex. Uh, so uh, each no, has an eye. <laughs> so no, I, I'm surprised it took it took people this long to scoop up because you know you got King and then you've got sort of like Game of Thrones, right? And uh, I'm surprised it took this long for this to happen. So uh, and this has never been. I remember when I was reporting on this, I looked it up and it had been. There's been efforts to try to adapt it, but nothing ever happened. But is anyone really going to be like, oh my God, Stephen King's The Eyes of the Dragon? No. Like no. It's more so you it's not Stephen King's Eyes of the Dragon. It's Stephen King plus fantasy. Yeah. Like it's like those are two buzzwords that people want to sell. They sell things, you know? And on Hulu, if they can say Stephen King's so and so, but then it looks like Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. people are gonna be like, fuck yeah, you know, because those are two populist things. Yeah. Having read the book, do you think this can go like multiple seasons? 
Yeah, I mean, if they don't stick to the if they if this is just called Eyes of the Dragon in general, you know what I mean? If they don't mm-hmm. stick to the plot of the first uh, of the book in general, and they just use the characters and kind of widen, kind of like the story of Arthur, I guess, you know what I mean? Yeah, which is also kind of something that King pulled heavily from S- Sword of the Stone. Uh, yeah, I, I think <laughs> yeah, Sword of the Stone, <laughs> the Disney's Sword of the Stone <laughs> with whimsical, magical Merlin. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think that they could they could definitely go and do a ton of different things with this because it's such untapped resource. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it could just be set in that world and just tell a bunch of different stories. They could do it. It could be like an anthology thing. It could follow a different character every. You know what I mean? They, they've, they've, no one's done this before, so they could do whatever they want with it. You know what I mean? Here, here's one more question: Can it connect with Castle Rock, and will Cujo be in it? <laughs> Cujo. Will- Cooge will undoubtedly be in, in this. Well, this is where they could do a prequel oh, if they want to go back a couple hundred puppies. years. <laughs> well, I, I already I have an inside scoop. They already showed a scene to me. Oh, right? my God. They shared it with me uh, because we were very popular here at the Losers Club, and they knew that we love Eyes of the Dragon, and I was on that episode. <laughs> and they sent uh, me a scene where a couple of guards are um, guarding a tower, which uh-huh. is from the book, so oh, yeah. we know that happens. Mm-hmm. And they talk about, at one point, they're just kind of talking as like a character sneaking by, and you overhear one of them saying, uh, yeah, and then this dog went rabid <laughs> <laughs> down the street over at Chambers, uh, you know, mill over at Chambers Farm. Yeah. Oh, God. oh my God, Jesus Christ! Um, I still just want to point out how funny it is that Stephen King almost called this book the Napkins. Oh, that's right. I mean, <laughs> napkins do play a big part in the story in a way that is that is interesting. But imagine a book called The Napkins. So ridiculous. You know, honestly, I, w- I think I would have rather that because this title is so misleading <laughs> for people that are interested in fantasy. Because so there, are, there is no dragon in this. It, it's it's the it's it's a dragon head that's mounted on the wall, and someone's behind it looking through the eyes, and they see something they're not supposed to see. I'm out. Again, it's it's a perfectly entertaining story, and if you want to get, if you want to know anything about the Man in Black pre 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 all of the stuff that happens in the the Dark Tower books, it's interesting and fun to to read that. And there's a couple of characters that actually show up, uh, or I mentioned um, in uh, future books. In future books, oh Johnny Smith, Johnny, <laughs> Smith. <laughs> Johnny Smith, and as we said before, the Cooge. Oh, can't wait. Uh, that's it for Hollywood King. Uh, although we're going to be kind of doing a little uh, coda for Hollywood King because we're going to be talking about the AMC series Nosferatu, which is based on Joe Hill's book, not Stephen King. So it's it's Hollywood Hill is more little, like it. I'm getting a little chilly, actually. It's getting a little cold. I think it's time to head to the Christmas the village. Christmas village, Christmas land, as Joe Hill calls it Burr. in uh, in Nosferatu. So uh, let's 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 there right now. I dreamt there was a man. He's vaulted something. Something bad. Why'd you marry me? You clearly think I'm a moron. Chris, I think you're up to I can't stand being under this roof with you. I saw a bridge in the middle of the woods that was demolished years ago. Where are you going? Honestly. Vic McQueen? I need to take children to live an eternity in Christmas land. I'll do anything, Mr. Max. 
the girl who finds lost things can find lost children. Don't you see you've been chosen? That McQueen might threaten Christmas land, but no one has ever been able to enter except me. I'm the only one with the power to stop him. And I'm gonna burn Christmas land to the ground. What's happening to me? She can't be far. Bad people ought to be punished. There's a nice list and a naughty list. And she's not on my naughty list. Kapow. I don't know why I said kapow. It has nothing to do with Nosferatu. Isn't Um, that what Santa Claus says? (laughs) Ho, ho, kapow. Nosferatu premieres this Sunday, uh, June 2nd on AMC, which once hosted Mad Men. And Breaking Bad. And Breaking Bad. But I think think AMC is sort of having a bit of a crisis right now. Like their shows aren't really landing like they used to. It's funny because I hear about shows that are on AMC and I had no idea they existed. I know. It's kind of wild. And uh, so I feel like something happened there. And uh, and I think Nosferatu is interesting because, in my opinion, it's a cool book. I'm a fan of the book, unlike Justo. I think Dan and I both liked it. I didn't think it was great, but it was, aside from 20th Century Ghost, which is Joe Hill's um, short story collection, I thought it was the strongest Joe Hill book. Because it really had the sprawl. It felt like King. It had good characters, well-drawn, it spanned a lot of time, and it had a compelling villain and sort of, you know, its own mythology and all of that I was really into. But, you know, watching Nosferatu, I've seen the first three episodes. How far did you Wow, you went to three. I only did two. Okay, yeah. Um, I gotta say, I was very disappointed Mm -hmm. uh, with with it. And... uh, It's not that I'm beholden to the material necessarily, although I do think the material that we're presented could sustain a, um, uh, you know, a couple seasons at least because it is a very big book. But, you know, it's I guess the way that I would phrase it is and, you know, we mentioned earlier that there's like CW vibes Mm -hmm. on it and it does feel like they're retrofitting this story a little bit to be kind of a teen show. Totally. Yeah. Which is weird. It's all YA. It's very YA. And and it's just too, it leans too heavily on that while also trying to be the sort of slow drama that AMC used to sort of pride itself on. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of moments in the pilot alone where you just have like some sort of kind of tranquil moments, especially, you know, with its lead character, Vic McQueen. Yeah. um, Who Ashley Cummings is actually pretty good she's good she's she's pretty solid um there's some really great sort of you know patient moments but it's juxtaposed against this sort of like gnarly like punch like almost like pulpy sort of horror that would be an american horror story and i'm not just saying that just because zachary quino and all but like it, it just seems so like yeah, like YACW for sure. Like even the horror elements of it seem like something that would be in like Supernatural. Yeah. On CW. I agree with that. And I guess just the general story, if you're unaware, I mean, basically you've got a teenager who discovers that on her motorbike, um, she can sort of uh, jump back through time. Mm-hmm. She can travel through time by riding over this wooden bridge that no longer exists, blah, blah, blah. And um, it kind of takes neat, like the Sleepy Hollow aesthetic too. Yeah, like. and it's a neat idea, but and it, I think it works pretty well in the book, but by virtue of her being able to do that, she draws the ire of this uh, vampire. But he's not a vampire in the traditional means. He's, he's sort of an energy, a mind vampire. And he is focused on abducting children, 
His name is Charlie Manx. He's an old man. And that's played by Zachary Quinto. Zachary Quinto. And he's very good. Well, no, I Here's take my, it back. Yeah, I take I, it. Actually, you know, it's funny because he's good. He's good when he's his own age. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. Because Charlie Manx can take on different forms. And there's times when we see him and he is... Zachary Quinto. When he's older, he reminds me, I'm not even joking, of the creep from like Creep Show. Yes. He's it's it's hammy and it doesn't really work, which mm-hmm. is why you can see why Ryan Murphy likes him because and if you watch, you know, American Horror Story, you know that Zachary Quinto is capable of that kind of hamminess. Mm-hmm. And but the thing is it works, I mean, at least in the season the good seasons of American Horror Story I've seen like Asylum, which when I say it's good, that's still generous, but I did like Asylum. Uh but he's good at it because he really does navigate. He can play very quiet and very serious, and then he can also play very silly. And that works sometimes. But here I think with um, so basically he draws the ire of of Charlie Manx or she does Vic does by being being able to travel in the way that she does. And uh, basically, you know, Charlie Manx kidnaps children and turns them into these weird vampires uh, that drains them of all their blood. And then they become like little demons. And he takes them to a place called Christmas Land, which is, you know, you're not sure whether or not it's real, but it's basically a place where Christmas is every day. And the series, you know, toys with those ideas. But I guess to play with, you know, Mike, I do agree with you when you say that the... Uh, supernatural elements of the show feel chintzy. Yeah. Like they feel cheap. They feel like there's on a, on a CW show like Supernatural where it's they don't take the horse seriously. Mm-hmm. Like Supernatural is a fine show. It is. It is. Because you know what you're getting into. Exactly. It's not a show that takes yeah. itself too seriously. Whereas Nosferatu ostensibly takes itself seriously. They spend a lot of time exploring Vic's relationship with her parents. And, um, and from what I can gather from the book or from what I can remember – the her as a child is not a huge part of the book. That's maybe like I could be totally wrong. It's been years since I've read it, but it's like I feel like that's maybe 30-40% of the book. Mm-hmm. The majority of the book is her as an adult. So I'm curious what they're up to with this series because it's so firmly focused on her as a child. And by child I mean like 17, 18 years old. I think she's younger in the actual book. But um but yeah, so they're really laying on this drama, but I guess my problem is and you know it reminds me of Game of Thrones in the later seasons where a lot of people's criticism was that Benioff and Weiss didn't take the magic and the fantasy elements of the series seriously mm-hmm. that those were kind of afterthoughts they were more interested in the political machinations and things like that and I almost feel like there's more of an emphasis on the human drama in Nosferatu than there is on the magic and yeah. the horror that stuff almost feels perfunctory it does and it also feels way too self-aware yeah and like the way that you know Quinto plays Manx is so like Vincent Price-ish, but like cheap Vincent Price. Yeah. You know, he's just like, he's so just standing on ceremony. There's just this like, it's theatrical to the point of aggravating for me. And it's not remotely scary. And, And it also doesn't help that like, they're just using really cheap makeup effects to show his aging because as he sucks out the energy from, you know, his victims, he, you know, he becomes his age and he's younger again and, and not his age, but he just becomes younger again. 
And, and that's when, you know, Quinto kind of thrives because he's, you're not looking behind all this like garish layers of makeup that just don't, they just don't really work. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I, I don't know. I, I just, I just thought that the, the show was a little too, uh, disjointed in tone and yet also wasn't really interesting with a lot of characters. Like I, I yeah, I mentioned like Ashley Cummings is, is fine as Vic McQueen, but she also isn't intriguing enough to me because she's not really surrounded by any true compelling characters. And I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that like this show is largely, you know, filled with no names and I'm usually, you know, appreciative of that, but I don't feel like any of the, the the quote unquote, no names like really step up to the plate for me. No, I agree a hundred percent. You know, there's a blandness to a lot of the supporting cast. I wouldn't say all of them, um, but nobody is really standing out. I've watched three episodes. I have no emotional connection to anybody on the show. And And the the librarian character, the way that they they, they dress her up to be this like sort of neo goth kind of reminds me of the goth character from CSI. Yeah. Yeah. Or not CSI, but uh, NS, NCIS yeah, or whatever well, I know exactly you're yeah. referring to. And it's like, and then her whole like Scrabble bit, you know, mm-hmm. like where she reaches into a bag and she uses Scrabble tiles to be able to tell the future or various other things. It's a neat idea in the book and I actually kind of like it. But here it's sort of just a parlor trick almost. Mm-hmm. It feels that way. Um, and I guess that just speaks to the larger idea that... Um, the horror, the magic of the world feels perfunctory. It feels like it's there because it it, it it's supposed to be there because it's in the story, but there's not a lot of thought given to it. There's not a lot of ingenuity given to it. There's a blandness. There's sort of a, a common denominator appeal to it all. And that really bums me out because yeah. I was looking forward to it. And Hulu is also, or not Hulu, uh, AMC, I believe, is also doing Sleeping Beauties, right? They were pitched by Owen King. So the King family is pretty uh, cozy with them. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that's the thing is, I'll probably I have access to the first six episodes right now. You probably do too. Yeah, I do. And uh, so I don't know. I feel like I might watch one or two more, and and I can report back if it maybe it hooks me because you know shows do sometimes take a little time to find their footing. But I thought the pilot was like a three hour pilot, and it was yeah, only like fifty minutes. It felt it just long. stretched. I wasn't a fan. No. So yeah, Mac thoughts on Nosferatu? <laughs> uh. I didn't think it was that great. <laughs> and uh, I haven't even seen it. And he hasn't even seen it. And But the thing is, you know what we have seen? We saw your Bag of Bones submissions. Mm-hmm. And we are looking forward to answering the questions that we get in the Bag of Bones. I hear them rattling now. But here's the thing. We went a little long on this segment. And having already recorded our Bag of Bones segment, we went really long there. So we're going to save our Bag of Bones segment for a little bonus episode, a mini so to tide you over until we tackle the Langoliers, the first part of our Four Pass Midnight series. You can think so, of it like an appetizer. It's an appetizer, an as apps. Guy Fieri would call it. So, if you're an Applebee's, what's your favorite app? Uh, enchiladas. Enchiladas. <laughs> you go right for the enchiladas. <laughs> what, what, what are enchiladas ever appetizers? Give me that a uh, scampi uh, pasta. I like. Oh, I think I'm in a quesadilla. I'm going to go, hey, um, can I get some wings? Some wangs? And they're going to be like, eight piece, 12 piece. I'm going with the 12 piece. <laughs> can I get an order of uh, dragging this out even longer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Seriously. on that note, let's wrap this one up. We'll see you guys soon for our Bag of Bones episode. So in the meantime, long days. And pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot
Consequence Podcast Network.